I'm going to jump in the scripture and have some thoughts. Um, but I, I really felt that there was faith in the house today. Amen. You know, what's crazy about a pandemic is it, it creates the, uh, it makes us realize we need God. You know what I mean? Like we need God. And um, right. I just, I want to I pray for anybody today right off the bat. Uh, maybe you're believing for a healing in your body. Maybe you got a diagnosis this week that was, um, it was hard. It was a hard, hard diagnosis. Or maybe it was for a loved one. Um, I, I believe the house of God is a house of prayer. And I believe we serve a healing God. And we, we, we put our faith in God. He, the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. And for anybody that, that resonates with, could you maybe put your hand on your heart? I don't want to embarrass you, but I see hands going all over. Maybe you're online watching. We're just going to believe God. Michael, what happens if God doesn't heal? Well, what happens if he does? <laughs> That's what I say. And I don't, I don't know how God works out all, all, the, all the way, but, but I do have faith in, the, in a healing God. So I want to pray for anybody right now. God, we thank you for healing power. Jesus, that you've purchased our healing. And God, that you want us heal and whole. It's your will. And I just pray, God, just for anybody who got a diagnosis this week, maybe been battling sickness. And I declare right now, along with Walk Family, in the name of Jesus, that they would be healed. And God, that we would hear testimonies, radical turnarounds. God, you are the great physician, Jesus. And so, God, we thank you, Lord. We don't deny a diagnosis, but we hold on to your truth. We believe you're a healer, and we thank you for it right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. If you got faith in the house, why don't you say it, amen, at, at church. I'm going to read scripture. I'm honored to be here. We had a great 9 o'clock today. It's great to see you in church. I wanted to publicly honor Pastor Hyden. And I know we put up a, pack, uh, a picture, but... I was in fifth grade when I, I used to pay money to go watch Hayden Ratner play basketball at Schofield Middle School. And this man, I was going as a, I was just, I was trying to hoop, you know, everybody has hoop dreams. This man was pulling up threes from the volleyball line. I said, this man got boldness right here. And uh, it's crazy to see God redeem and use his life and the same faith he has and the same grit he had in, in, in the natural, he has in the spiritual. And I remember he, he went off to college, and I knew Pastor Hyden before, you know, B.C. days. And I'm not talking about before COVID. I'm talking about before Christ. I knew this man. I knew his story. We don't got to dig there. But what I did realize is God radically changed his life in college. He came back to Vegas, led a Bible study, invited me to it. Maybe about eight people in this house. I remember leaving this Bible study on fire. I felt like literally my hands were on fire. We opened up the scripture. And I thought about Paul in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, he, you know, he was a radical uh, a follower of God, but he was misusing his passion. And when he got converted to Christianity, when he started following Jesus, his conversion was a testimony to other people. Uh, like, if God could do it for Paul, he could do it for me. And I feel that same anointing, that if, 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 if Jesus could do it for, for Hayden, he could do it for me. And I remember being 16 years old, yeah. And I say, God, use me like you're using him. And I just, I've, I've honored him since and followed his life. And so this is a dream come true to preach in this pulpit. I know I'm taking a moment, but I believe we give honor where honor is due. We honor up, down, all around. But the Bible talks about giving those that labor in the word double honor. And if you honor your pastor and leaders at this church, can we give God a big hand clap and just thank them? Come on, the world has a lot of critics. It doesn't have many leaders. And so we honor you, me and Gia, and it's a dream come true. I got a great uh, uh, word I, I want to preach to us today. 
And uh, typically, when you get invited to preach somewhere, you want to like, you want to like preach a message from a text that's like nobody listened, like some from Habakkuk or like First Chronicles or something like that. And I just felt like God wanted us to revisit really one of the most popular passages in all of the New Testament, and it's the uh, the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And here's what I love about the Bible. You can read the same story a thousand times and get something new from it because the Bible is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God could speak a new word with the same passage. So my heart is if you've been in church a long time, God would speak to you. And maybe somebody invited you today and it's been a while since you've been in church. We want to say welcome. And I pray this word would speak to you. And that by the end of this, we would encounter the, the, the living God. We believe in Jesus. And the spirit is here. I already sense it. So would you open up your heart? And uh, let's lean into the, the, to the Word of God, Luke 15. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, we got it on the screen, 2021 Church, it's high tech. And so Jesus is sharing this parable. He says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I love it. People that, that were living a bad life were drawn to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. He begins to share three parables. The parable of the sheep that leaves the 99. The farmer goes after. The shepherd goes after the one. Finds it. Throws a party. What was lost was now found. He shares another parable. Lost coin. One coin. Lost out of ten. The girl, she flips over the furniture to find the coin. Finds it. Then throws a party because what was lost is now found. Amen. And then he shares the prodigal of the parable of the prodigal son. Look what he says. There was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. Come on, church. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. And he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at this. But the father said to the servants, quick, grab the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Come on, Texas Day, Brazil. And kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, now he's found, and they began to celebrate. Why don't we give God's word a big hand clap? Ain't that good? That's a good word. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to do so. The title of today's message is, Why You Might Be Miserable. Why You Might Be Miserable. I never typically have negative titles, but I thought it was provocative, all right? And maybe maybe do this for, for, for me. If you came with some family, look at your person on your left or your right and, and ask them, are, are you miserable today? Are you miserable? Come on, come on, come on. Look at your other neighbor, your second choice. Come on, we, we do this in church, your second choice. 
Say, you, you, look a kind, you, you look kind of miserable. No, don't say that. 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 I'm joking. Let's have fun in church, but I believe God's word is going to change our life today. Um, let's pray in this atmosphere. Lord, we love you. And we sense your, your presence here. Yes. We, I sense it. God, on this pulpit, I know we sense it in our chairs. We just need you, God, today. We need you. We thank you that your word doesn't return void. Meet with us. We need you more than ever, God. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Why? You might be miserable. Show of hands online or here. Um, how, many, how many of you have ever met a miserable Christian? Come on, show of hands. Come on. Oh, okay. If you're not raising your hands, hey, you might be one. Hey, no, no, I'm just joking. Someone was like, oh, dang it, you got me. Miserable Christian, I know I'm not the only one. We've been there before, right? Somebody, none worse than getting cut off on the freeway. Lo and behold, there's a person in front of you that cut you off, has three bumper stickers, says, bless the Lord and highly favored one, has a fish with Jesus' name in it. You're like, you cut me off on the freeway. Why are you so mad? Have you ever met one? So a Christian who just looks mad. I call it a constipated Christian. Ever met one of those? Come on, you came to church to hear about a constipated Christian. Pastor Hyden, why'd you let this man come? I don't know. I drove down the street. But you know what I'm talking about? A, a, a Christian who just looks angry. Looks like they're holding something in. Like they're changing a baby's diaper for the first time. Just, it's on your face. And, and we've all experienced that. And a lot of us, we may have walked in that. Not every part of our journey has been happy. But I'm not talking about happiness right now. I, I want to consider where's the joy in our faith? See, happiness, is, it's connected to happenings. Not every, I'm not happy about everything in, in the world right now. But I can have joy because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, somebody. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The Bible says that Jesus was overflowed with joy. Come on, Paul wrote the epistle of joy in a prison. That'll preach by itself. Over 14 times in the letter, he says, I rejoice, I have joy, rejoice. Come on, you can be joyful in a prison. What? Yes, because when your life is anchored on Jesus, it does not matter the circumstances that are going on around you. You can have an eternal joy. Come on, somebody. You can, you can have, an, it's, a, it's a divine joy. Where's the joy in our Christianity? I think many times we're not experiencing joy, not because of the things going on around us, but because of the things going on within us. I believe it's a perspective issue. If you're taking notes, write this, this principle down. How you view something will determine how you experience something. Write that principle down. I'll use it as a springboard today. How you view something will determine how you experience something. If you view your job like a job, you'll experience a paycheck. But if you view your job like an opportunity to be a missionary, come on, every time you clock in and clock out, you'll experience the joy that it is to be on mission with Jesus. Come on, if you view church like a, a box to check off, you'll get a checked off box. But if you view church like an opportunity for God to meet you, you might leave today with a breakthrough. If you view your weakness as an excuse to not step out, you won't step out. If you view your weakness as a platform for the God of all strength to be made perfect in your weakness, you'll step out. A preacher came to our church a couple years ago. His name was Dr. Darius Daniels. He said something wild. He said, if you view Jesus like a carpenter, you can get your house fixed. But if you view him like the Christ, you can get your life fixed. Yeah, he was a black preacher. He got way more response than that. But the Saudi Arabian will try his best. But it's provocative. I like that. How you view something will determine how you experience something. 
Um, here's the question today. How do you view God? How do you view God? Better yet, when you think about God, thinking about you, what comes to mind? The great A.W. Tozer said, uh, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. How do you view God? Let me, let me, go, let me get, go a step further. How do you view the Father? Because I think many of us, we have a good view of Jesus. Come on. If you grew up in a Catholic household like me, every statue had Jesus, had a cup hand, had his fingers out like this, like he's, he's shushing people, like shh. He's carrying lambs, had a British accent, light skin. But then we look at the Father and we think he's, he's just this, this, this entity of wrath. And Jesus is standing in between, and we pit the Father against the Son, but the Father and the Son were one. How do you view the Father? How you view God will determine how you experience God. And I have a confession to make. Part of my Christianity, I was miserable, not because I didn't have God, but because I had the wrong view of God. And maybe, just maybe, come on, maybe you're sitting in church and somebody invites and you've asked the question, why do Christians look miserable? This is why. Because we're wrestling with this. Because we have God, but sometimes we're wrestling with the right view of God because of our own failures, our own inadequacies, our, uh, our own idiosyncrasies, our own personality. And we project unto God our failures and we create a God in our image instead of surrendering to the, to the God who created us in, in his image. How do you view God today? A New York uh, article talked about the top views of God in America. One of them is the authoritarian God. Do you view God that way? This is the harsh God, the mean God. God is like Oz. you got to appease him. But when you view God in that light solely, you'll always be afraid to come to him when you make a mistake. And you will only feel wrath because how you view God will determine how you experience him. Another view of God is the distant God. Do you view God that way? He's distant. Yeah, he's God. He's real. But why would the God of the universe want to be involved in my life? But that's the good God that we serve. Come on, he created the heavens and the earth, but he still wants to have an integral part into the details of our life. He knows our name, knit us together in our mother's womb. But if you view God as distant, you view your life as meaningless. What about the critical God? God's always pointing his finger. He's always looking for what's wrong in you instead of celebrating what's right. Oh, I know I've struggled with this. God's critical. And when you view God only critical, you'll, view, you'll, you'll never feel good enough. You'll always feel like you have to earn his approval and your Christianity, quite frankly, will be unenjoyable because you always feel inadequate and you never tap into greatness and power. How do you view God today? You know, I really felt this as I was prepping this message that some of you in this place or online, you've experienced maybe a, a past experience with an authority figure and it thwarted your view of God. Maybe it was from a father, or a former pastor, a boss, a leader, an uncle, a friend, and they mistreated you and they abused their authority and power. And the devil, the enemy of our souls knew what he was doing because if he could get you and I to be, have a distorted view of authority, we, we, we might just project that unto God and we view God in that same light. But I'm so grateful for the word of God because in the word of God, we allow God to introduce himself to us. We allow God to set the standard on how we should relate. Come on, church. We let God, listen, left to our own demise, oh my goodness, we will create a God out of our feelings. But God is far better He's far gooder. That's bad English. 
than we could ever concoct in our own understanding. The revealed word of God reveals who God really is. And I want to answer this question, how did Jesus view the Father? Because if we're going to listen to anybody, let's listen to Jesus. <laughs> let's listen to Jesus. How did Jesus view the Father? I don't think there's any better passage to display the heart of God than Luke chapter 15. The context is there's Pharisees and religious leaders sitting at a table mad at Jesus because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, which I thought was funny because I'm like, what's wrong with tax collectors? I know we don't like the IRS sometimes, but, but well, you put them in front of sinners? Yeah, in the first century, a tax collector was a Jewish man working for the oppressive Roman government. And the Roman Empire, they were savages. They would steal your money, steal your kids, hide your kids, hide your wife. They, 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 they did not care about your feelings. And you got Jewish brothers working for the oppressive Roman government. They were despised in Jesus' day. But Jesus was eating with them. Why? Because Jesus doesn't cancel people. He has conversations with people. He gives people chances. He gives people an opportunity. Oh, it's quiet in the house of God today. And the Bible says he shares a parable. Three, really, to describe the heart of the Father. If you've been in church long enough, you know how it goes. Maybe it's your first time hearing this. I'm, I'm preaching a Gen Z every week, and I realize a lot of them, they don't know the story. But the Bible says that there was a younger son who asked for his share of the estate. Ooh, if you've been in church long enough, you preach the gospel, if you know the Bible, you know how radical that is. Every single part of this parable would have had an awe factor to it because Jesus was trying to get the people to feel something inside about how the Father relates to us. This is not just cerebral. This is not just intellect. This is not just your mind. The Bible says, I did not come to you with persuasive words, but with the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And Jesus is sharing a parable to get the people to feel something about how the Father relates to us. The Son asks for the estate. And in Jesus' day, that was as if you were wishing your father dead. What the Son was saying is, I want freedom. I don't want friendship. And the father does something radical, something that no Jewish father would do in the parable. He gives it to him. What? The listener would have been like only expecting one response. And it was the response of a, come on, Hispanic mom, black mom, Filipino mom, when their kids disrespect them. They were expecting this father to take off his chanelas, his chanclas, and, and come on, church, and drive the son out in fury and in wrath. I'm scarred from my childhood. Uh, the father doesn't do it, church. The father gives the estate. It speaks to a nature of our God that he is patient. He's, he's kind. Now, 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 is God authority? Yeah, absolutely. But, but he gives us a chance. He gives free will. One of the ways grace is displayed in the Bible is God allowing us to do what we want to do. Some of us might be there today. God, how, how could you allow it? He said, I, I didn't allow it. You chose it. Because he gives free will. Come on, somebody. He's patient, though. He's kind. And the son, the Bible says, takes the money, and he goes to Las Vegas. And you know the passage. Listen, the Bible says he goes to a distant land. This young man was trying to find himself. But I want you to hear this today. Self-discovery will always lead to self-destruction because you can't find yourself away from the Father's presence. 
And there's a, hey, there's a generation rising up. I got, I got to find myself. I got to find, listen, you can't know yourself or relate to yourself properly if you're running from the one who created yourself for himself. He's the maker. He's the craftsman. He's the potter. And we are the clay. And this young man tried to find himself. Listen, my wife, when she graduated high school, left the relationship. She was really broken. And so she decided to go to Portland, Oregon to find herself. Don't go to Portland, Oregon to find yourself. All right? Come back more broken with a voodoo donut. Hello, somebody. Here's what's crazy. She goes to Portland, comes back to Vegas, and encounters the love of the Father in Sin City. Because you can't find yourself apart from the Father's presence. I got a word for somebody. Maybe you're looking for a future season to find yourself. Maybe you're waiting to graduate high school, graduate college, kids out the house. We're so stubborn, though. We could go into a new season with an old mindset and recreate an old season in a new season and experience deja vu. Hello, Israel. Oh, we're so stubborn, aren't we? It's like new place, new space. Woo! Give us three months with the same heart and same outlook. And we'll recreate that same thing in our life. Listen, he goes to a distant land. And I want to say something that no preacher will say or some preachers won't say. Sin is fun. Don't say amen too fast. No, I'm, 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 let's call it what it is. People come to Vegas to have a good time. And the Bible says he squandered his money on wild living. Listen, squandering your money is fun. It's fun to spend your money. It's not fun when the money runs out. It's fun to come to Las Vegas. It's not fun when you leave Las Vegas and bring Las Vegas back home. It's fun to go to a distant land, but it's not fun when you feel estranged from your creator. And this is what the enemy does. He overpromises and underdelivers. He promises initial freedom, but it leads to eventual bondage. And what I'm not saying today is following Jesus isn't fun. My, quite frankly, the opposite is true. I'm having the most fun being free. But what I am saying is God will sometimes push, push you through a season that is tough initially that will eventually lead to freedom because he knows us and he wants us and he wants us to experience freedom. So initial, come on, obedience that leads to eventual freedom, I'll take that over initial freedom that it leads to eventual bondage. Oh, my goodness, church. Come on, somebody. So the Bible says the enemy really was doing, this is the algorithm of the enemy, distant land far from God. Come on. Spent everything spent. Hired himself out to a citizen of the country. Lose a, lose a loss of your identity. This is the algorithm of the enemy. Sin will always cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. And maybe you're there today at church. Uh, I believe you're not too far from the grace of God. And I pray what happened to the younger son would happen to you, church. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you feel that. The Bible says the son came to his senses. Ooh. All across the church today, I pray people would come to their senses and say, God, it's better at the father's house than it is in the pigs. And here's what's so crazy. The Bible says he thinks about home and he comes to his senses because they're connected. God's presence and your true identity, they're connected. He begins to write a letter. Come on, church. He didn't say that, but you know what I'm talking He writes a letter. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Come on, make me like one of your hired servants. Because we always want to come back to God and put onto God the position we should have. Let me come back as a servant. 
not as a son. But he writes a letter. Maybe you're there. You're so busy writing letters. I've been here. I spent so many hours, days, months, years in my Christianity writing letters to God, trying to get my sin just right, trying to clear it up, be eloquent, because we think the eloquence of our repentance validates our repentance. But there's far greater sins that God has covered and forgiven me of that I cannot articulate. Is there anybody in the house of God that is thankful that Jesus has covered your sin, my sin, washed us white as snow? Oh, he's changed me. But the younger son, he says, I'm going home. And, and right about this part of the parable, you would, you would have got the religious leaders pulling their hair. Because what Jesus is about to say about the father is radical. The Bible says that when he was on his way home, the father saw him at a distance. Ooh, I studied that word out in the original language. That word from a distance is almost synonymous with the same word, a far country, a far distance. The son ran away far, but the father saw him from afar. Ooh, I just love that. How far, how far, how far can I run from God? I don't know. How far can you run? Some of you might be saying that. I, I feel like I've, uh, God is far. Listen, you're not Usain Bolt. You can't run that fast. I feel like I'm off with God. You're not a light switch. Come on, the Bible says when he makes you right, you're right. You are not too far from the grace of God. His arm is not too short. I know it's radical, but it's good news, church. The Bible says he sees them from a far distance. And he does what no Jewish father would do. I used to think it was the father seeing the son on the porch, but it was no, no, it was a far way off. The father picked up his tunic. He called his servants he makes a beeline to his son through the meadows because he sees his son from afar and God cannot control himself. When he sees us coming home, he meets us right where we're at. Oh, he's so good. Woo. He's so good. The Bible says he covers the son. He doesn't even listen to the son. We think when the father sees us first, he sees sin first. But the father doesn't even see the sin first. He sees son first. He sees daughter first. That's my son. That's my daughter. I'm just glad that you're home. I'm just, come here. He ignores the letter. What kind of theology do you have? He ignores it. Get the best robe. What's the, what's the best robe? The father's robe. Let me cover him. You don't got to take a shower before we party. I'm going to cover you. Oh, you don't got to wait three days to appease your conscience, and then we'll party. He says, quick. Grab the, come on, come on, put a ring on his finger. Let me put authority back on his life. Put some shoes on his feet. Let me give him some dignity. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but God is just grateful that you're coming home in the house of God. Can I get an amen at Walk Church? Amen to the word of God. Wow. Wow. And right about this time in the parable, it would be good enough for it to be done. But it's not done. Jesus is going to continue the parable, listen, because he was speaking to religious leaders and Pharisees. So just, just in case you were like, this message is not for me, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> saying, I've been home. All right, for sure, for sure. Look at verse 25. Let me read this. Look what the Bible says. Ooh, I love the Bible. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older was in the field. And when he came near the house, 
he heard music and dancing. Let me stop for a moment. Let me pause for the cause. How loud do you got to be dancing for somebody to hear the dancing? They were getting what this next generation is called a, a, a turned up. It's a, it's a doot-doot-doot-doot-doot. It's a quinceanera up in the house. Anyways, I love it. Look what the Bible says. Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has him safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him because the father always comes out to meet us. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered his property on wild living or on prostitutes, he comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with, with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. <laughs> he ends it. He ends the parable. It's a cliffhanger. I can't stand cliffhangers. I paid money to see this movie. Now I got to come back. But he, he leaves it up for the listener. Listen, what Jesus is a master storyteller. Because the point of the parable wasn't for you and I to go, I'm not the younger son. That's for somebody else. The point of the parable was for us to ask, am I the younger son or am I the older son? I used to think this parable, the three, was like a trilogy. That Jesus was sharing three separate parables, but God showed me something weeks ago and I never rarely say that, but something came to light in the text that made me realize Jesus' main parable, the prodigal son, he was leading up to that one. But he used two parables to get them ready to receive the last one. It wasn't like a trilogy. It was like a foreshadowing of three parables, like Quentin Tarantino on us. He just foreshadowed it to the last one. Listen, the first parable was about a lost sheep who leaves the 99. The Bible says in the open country. And the Bible says the shepherd goes out in the open country, goes and finds the one in the field, and brings it home. Who's that? That's the younger son. The second parable was about a lost coin. Out of ten, one gets lost, and the woman, she, she pushes over furniture because the coin was lost in the house. Who's that? That's the older son. Because you could be lost in the field, or you can be lost in the house. Are you there today? I know I've been there before. I'm in the house, but I'm lost. I'm in church, but I'm lost. I'm serving God, but I'm lost. It's radical. The younger son is lost for doing bad. The older son is lost for doing good. Oh, my goodness, God, what? what, what? And we do this. The self-discovery people look at the self-righteous people. They go, you're lost. And the self-righteous people look at the self-discovery people, and they go, you're lost. And the father comes in between. Y'all all lost. Every single one of you are lost, and you need my love, and you need my grace, and you need my, come on, my, my affection, and you need my acceptance. Oh, 
Are you lost in the house? I came down the street, literally down windmill, to speak to anybody that might feel estranged from the Father. You're close to the Father's house, but you're far from the Father's heart. I want you to write these three points down. I'm almost done, and we'll pray together. But you might be miserable today because you're following Jesus with the right motions, but the wrong motives. The right motions, the wrong motives. Father, all these years I've been slaving for you. What? When did serving in your father's house turn into slaving in your father's house? When did that happen? What changed? I remember being 16. Come on, at Silverado High School. I remember Jesus transforming my life. And I was double dipping, triple dipping in church. I was serving hours. I was so in love with Jesus. Friends were asking, what are you doing, bro? I said, I don't know, man. Why are you spending so much time in the church? I, I like it, all right? Are they paying you? No. I'm paying them. It's called the tithe. Oh, my goodness. What? Huh? And then what happens? Years go by. You're serving, you're serving, you're serving. And then motives get turned a little bit. And then now it feels like slaving. It feels like slaving. What was once a I get to turns into I have to. Jesus is so good because he doesn't want behavior modification. He wants deep spiritual transformation. I think a lot of us were focused on our emotions and we got that down. But what about the motive? The why behind the what? You want to go deeper in your faith? Let's stop addressing what's on the surface, what everybody sees. And let's start asking the question, why? I know you serve. Why are you serving? I know you're giving. Why are you giving? I know you're loving your neighbor. Why though? Because if we're not careful, isn't it crazy what the enemy does? He'll take a good thing distort it, make it a bad thing. Oh, my goodness. Start using obedience as a way to control God's arm. You're saying, God, I've spent all these years serving you. How come this has not happened yet? That's not obedience. Obedience is not just doing the right thing. Obedience is doing the right thing for the right reason. Jesus is about motivation. The Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. Now, Hayden, Pastor Hayden likes any kind of giver. But God loves a cheerful giver. Come on, church. Motions, motives. I was thinking about a story in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. King Saul is asked by God to take out a whole nation. And King Saul, in his own pride, in his own arrogance, he, he keeps the best livestock alive and he keeps the king alive. Prophet Samuel comes to Saul next day. He says, what have you done? And Saul, hiding behind his self-righteousness, says, what? I kept the best sheep for God to sacrifice it for God. And I kept the king alive, too. Samuel's like, no, 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 no. You missed it. You think God wants your sacrifice. He wants obedience. You kept them alive for you. God takes his mantle away. What was God doing in that Old Testament passage? What was he saying? God was saying, Saul... I don't want your sheep, bro. 
I want you. I want your heart. I want your affection. I want your adoration. I want everything. I don't care about the sheep, bro. I want your heart. Would you obey me? And we got to get back to that place in our Christianity where we're not just serving God with the right motions, but God has so deeply changed us that we got the right motives. What's your motivation? You might be miserable because you're following Jesus with the right motions, not the right motives. Number two, and I'm almost done, you might be miserable because you're working for something you already have. Right? Son, I've given you all that I have is yours. I've always, you've always been with me. The Bible says at the beginning of the parable that the, the, the father divided the estate to both sons, both sons, both sons. Older son got two-thirds. Younger son got one-third. And ain't it like us? We, got, we get more than the younger brother, but we're still unsatisfied. Because when you make your Christianity about what God will give to you and you want what's in his hands, you miss out on what's in his heart. And it's never enough. All that I have is yours. Listen, this is for somebody today. You're, you're working for acceptance from God. You already have it in Christ Jesus. You're working for approval. He's already approved of you in Christ. Ain't that crazy? You're working for forgiveness. You're not that powerful, friend. Jesus bore our sin on the cross. He purchased all of us on the cross. You don't got to pay for your own sin. It's already been paid for. Stop working for something you already have. Listen, you could party every day if you want to. We get your favorite DJ up in the house of God. This is your fatted calf. You chose not to celebrate. You chose that. Oh my goodness, we need a, this is a new point. You might be miserable because you haven't danced in the house of God in a long time. We got to bring dancing back. I said it last service. We need to bring twirling back. Twirling, yeah. Or what's your generation? What dance move you got? Like, is he that good? I could do that. What, where are you at? Are you here? What, 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 I don't care what generation you are. He's been way too good for us to be dignified. He's been way too good. Come on and stay at the surface. Come on, God deserves a great praise. God deserves a great dance. God deserves a uh, walk church. Why don't you give God a five-second praise break in the house of God? I know I'm pushing you. Has he been good to you? Has he been faithful? He's a good, good father. Oh. Turn this church into a Pentecostal church. Start, start spreading up in the house. Come on. Come on, I sense the presence of God in this place. Come on, why don't you give God a shout of praise? I know we're stirring it up a little bit in the house, but he's been way too good. Hey. I end here, man. I sense God, but here's the last point, and then I'll pray for us. You might be miserable because, number one, you're following Jesus with the right motions but the wrong motives. Number two, you're working for something you already have, and maybe, just maybe, you might be miserable because you've forgotten your responsibility. And I want to push us as a church today. I came in to encourage, edify, and to be your Filipino uncle to push you a little bit. But 
here's what's crazy about the passage. Older son was supposed to be a reconciler to the family. It was the older son's responsibility to go after the younger son. If anybody was estranged from the father, he was supposed to go and grab him. The Bible says he doesn't even take responsibility for his brother. Look what he says. This son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours. Sounds eerily familiar to something else in the Bible. God, the woman you gave me. Hello, Adam. The shift of responsibility. That's not my brother. That's your son, God. And then the Bible says he squandered his money on prostitutes. My question is, how did you know that, bro? At the beginning of the parable, it says wild living. How do you know the details of his sin? Maybe, just maybe, one day he journeyed off to get his brother. And he saw him with the prostitutes, living wild. And instead of grabbing his brother out of compassion, he said, oh, he's too far, too far gone. I'm going to enjoy the father on my own. I'm going to enjoy the house by myself. He relinquished his responsibility. And listen, church, we got to remember today in the house, we got a responsibility. The Bible says we carry a message of reconciliation. Yeah. And maybe you hit a cap in your Christianity. Maybe you have felt like your, your journey with Jesus has remained shallow. This might be the point for you. Because what God does in you is always meant to be done through you. So if God is just good to you and you don't share that with somebody else, you'll hit a cap. Come on, back to the constipated Christianity. You know what I'm talking about. You're just frustrated. No, 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 we got a message. Listen, there's a broken world out here in Las Vegas. I believe this prophetically in this house. This room cannot contain the amount of people that God wants to encounter. And guess how he's going to do it? He's going to use you and the person next to you and me and all of us together to be the people of God. Listen, come on, church. I want to go from coming to church to being the church. We got a message. We got, a, we got the answer. You don't got the answer, Sway, but we got the answer. His name is Jesus, and we're the first responders. And God is calling us not to just enjoy God's presence in his house, but to take his presence wherever we go. Oh, I'm telling you what, there is a joy reserved for the people of God. Not just in enjoying God, but sharing God. Because joy is incomplete until it's expressed. Come partake in the waters. Come partake in the feast. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Wow. Let me pray for us today in the house. If you could bow your head and close your eyes. I, I, sense, I sense Jesus speaking to people today. And I want to pray for two groups of people as we end. First group, maybe you resonate with the younger son. Maybe you feel like you're far from God. And in your own journey of self-discovery, you found yourself being self-destructive. And you feel empty, spent, thirsty, hungry. You find yourself feeding with the pigs. But God's calling you home today. I believe in each and every one of us, there's a nostalgic song from heaven calling us home. And the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Amen. Michael, one day I'm going to get it. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't clean the fish, then catch it. He catches the fish, and then he cleans it. You just come to him as you are. Come to him as you are. Whew. 
I sense God. Hey, you might be in this place, every head bowed, eye closed. What I'm gonna ask is on the count of three, would you shoot your hand in the sky if you're saying, that's me, I'm coming home today. And I'm just gonna make eye contact with you and we're gonna pray together as family. We're gonna celebrate like we're supposed to. But I, I, I feel like there's, there's more than one person today. God, is, God has been speaking to you all of, all of the whole. It, Michael, is, is God speaking to me? Well, if you think that, he might be. See, hands are already going up. I ain't even count to three yet. Come on, one, you know who you are. Two, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another day. Hands all across the room. Three, come on. All, over, all across walk online here. Come on, one, two, three. I see you over here. Come on, hands all over here. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Come on, church. Eleven, twelve. Is there anybody else? Come on, you're saying, I'm coming home today. I'm coming home today. Wow. We're going to pray this prayer together. The prayer doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. But why don't you attach your faith to this prayer? Because today marks a new journey. We're going to pray this all together as church family. Everybody today say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Holy Spirit, come on in. Make me a new person. Change me from the inside out. Today, because of your work, Jesus, I believe that my sins, past, present, future sins, have been forgiven, forgotten, forever. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, Walk family, can we welcome everybody who said yes to Jesus today? No, the Bible says when one person gets right, all of heaven rejoices. Walk family, I'm going to ask again, is there anybody grateful that God is calling people home today? Why don't we welcome our new brothers and sisters in Christ into the family of God? Wow. Wow. We're going to give you some next steps if you raise your hand and get you connected. We're going to be talking about groups up here. That's a great next step for you, but I believe today is the greatest day of your life. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, and then it's who you're going to marry. Don't get those two wrong. All right. But hey, let's stand up to our feet because I want to pray for one last group of people, and I'm out of here. And uh, maybe you're, you resonate with the older son today. And I know maybe, maybe, maybe you're here today, and you're like, yeah, I've been in the house, but yeah. I feel like my heart's been drifting, and I, I wanted to pray for you. And before I pray, I wanted to give just a practical note. That's my problem. I need to learn more from Pastor Hayden. He's so practical. Sometimes I preach and I sweat, and you leave with the feeling. You're like, what do I do next? Like, I don't even know. I need to get better at practical. But here's the practical for this year. Along with your other resolutions or goals, along with keto and your diets, how about we make this a goal this year, 2021, while the world is a little crazy? How about this? Enjoy God. Enjoy the Father. We're fighting a real enemy. It's about time we don't make God our enemy anymore. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're anointed. Come on, you're holy and blameless in His sight. But I've messed up. Yeah, I know. That's why we, we need Jesus. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's very own possession. Let's enjoy the Father today. Maybe that's you today. You're like, I, I want prayer. Put your hand on your heart if you're saying, man, Mike, I need a renewed joy in my faith. Maybe I've been going through the motions, but my motives have been a little off. 
I've been obeying to get something. Oh, I feel this today. Religious people obey God to get things from God. But gospel people obey God because they have God. And so Jesus, today I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I thank you, God, that you're the same God that goes out for the younger son, the same God that comes out for the older son. God, would you forgive us for forgetting the why behind the what? Remind us of why you called us. God, I pray what the psalmist wrote, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? God, I pray what John would write in Revelation, would you return us to our first love? God, I thank you, Lord, for the greatest days of this church and for our families. As you grow this church, you're growing our families because the, the two are connected. And God, I pray for a radical move of God in this house. God, that we would go from gathering to scattering throughout the weeks. We would share the good news of Jesus more than we ever have before. You're calling us by name. Introverts, extroverts, it don't matter what vert you are. God is calling you by name and us by name to be the people of God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you spoke in our life today. We leave blessed, filled up, enjoying you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen, amen.